Hello, it's time for This Week in WordPress, episode 162, entitled Chickens Are Now Legal in Chicago. It was recorded on Monday, the 10th of May, 2021. My name is Paul Lacey, and this week we are joined on the panel by Jewel from Dopey Manage Ninja, Donata and Hans from Termageddon, and regular guest and friend of the show, Bernard from Pods, as we discuss some WordPress-related current affairs and news including the Page Builder Summit event and a new plugin, Classic Widgets, launches to help smooth the way for more block editor implementation inside of WordPress conversion 5.8. We also talk privacy policies in WordPress with Donata and Hans and learn how Donata was able to get the law changed in Chicago to allow people to legally keep chickens. We celebrate Fluent CRM's David versus Goliath triumph in the TalkMag Plugin Madness Tournament and discuss how community can be your best marketing asset in as a plugin vendor and finally we learn about a designer from argentina that managed to buy google.com.ar from none other than the google domain store itself see you in a moment this week in wordpress was brought to you by termageddon when you build contact forms for client websites you may be forcing that client to comply with multiple privacy laws Rather than avoiding discussing the importance of privacy policies with your clients, try out Termageddon, the auto-updating privacy policy generator. The best part is that Termageddon gives web agencies a free set of their policies forever in the hope that you like their product and use their reseller or referral programs to help your clients get protected too. Your client gets protected, you make more recurring revenue, Go to termageddon.com and click the Agency Partners page to receive your free license today. And by AB Split Test. Do you want to set up your AB Split Tests in record time? The new AB Split Test plugin for WordPress will have you up and running in a couple of minutes. Use your existing pages and test anything against anything else. Buttons, images, headers, rows, anything. And the best part is that it works with Elementor, Beaver Builder and the WordPress Block Editor. Go check it out and get a free demo at absplittest.com. Hello, I think and hope we are live. Can everyone hear me? Brilliant. Can you make a noise as well, as well as sticking your thumbs up? I'll start this off. Hello, everyone. Hi. There you go. That works. That works. It seems to be working. Fantastic. Well, hello. Welcome to This Week in WordPress. Uh, it's just me without Nathan today. So Nathan is currently hosting, along with Anchan LaRue, the Page Builder Summit, which we'll come back to that shortly and mention that in the news. Uh, so it's just me today, which means that likely everything will go wrong because normally I rely on Nathan to press all the buttons. But we'll see how it goes anyway. So let's see if I can handle this all by myself. So anyway, so today we have uh, myself and an esteemed panel of experts, and we're discussing various current affairs in WordPress. So let's introduce the panel. So first of all, we have a new sponsor for the show, Termageddon, Donata and Hans Skillrud. Have I said that right? Skillrud? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, cool. And they are the two co-founders of Termageddon, which is an auto-updating website policies generator. Donata, Termageddon's president, is a licensed attorney who has provided U.S. legislators with guidance on how to write privacy laws on behalf of American Bar Association. So that sounds pretty awesome. Um, Hans is Termageddon's vice president overseeing agency partnerships, ensuring web agencies get a free set of Termageddon's auto-updating policies, as well as the ability for agencies to resell licenses to clients. 
Also, prior to Termageddon, Hans ran a 12-person web design agency in downtown Chicago, which he sold in 2019. And outside of work, you can find Donata and Hans working in their garden, managing their beehive, and making sure their chickens aren't frolicking in their neighbor's yards. I'm going to come back to this chicken's point, if that's okay. Because <laughs> okay. I'm a chicken person myself. So I'll come back to that shortly before we start the um start the actual news. Um, also, I'm really pleased today that we have a returning guest, but I wasn't here last time he was on the show. Uh, we have Jewel, who is the founder of Doripe Managed Ninja, which actually is nothing to do with recruiting martial art experts. It's actually okay. a WordPress product company, that, and some of their main products are a very popular form plugin called Fluent Forms. Also, their most recent plugin, Fluent CRM. And Jewel actually wanted to be a scientist and has a degree in chemical engineering. So obviously is a very smart person compared to, to me. <laughs> I had what's called a Mickey Mouse degree. Um, also recently though, we're very pleased because recently Jewel's latest product, Fluent CRM, won the TalkMag plugin Madness competition. But we'll come on to that one shortly as well. And last but not least, we also have Bernard Grenot. And Bernard, I asked you for an up-to-date intro and you wouldn't send me one and you just said you're just a guy and then sent me some <laughs> emojis. So I don't know if you want to give yourself a quick intro uh, to let people know um, who you are and what you do. Most of the regular watchers should know me by now. I'm just working on websites, occasionally uh, helping out with pops uh, and, and Beaver Builder. I wrote the, 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 the plugin which integrates the both of two and selling hot chocolate and never sending it out because we're on the set in Austria. <laughs> Thank you very much, Bernard. Um, yeah, so you, you probably undersold yourself there. I would say that Bernard's family business is one of the most um, prestigious chocolate companies <laughs> in the world. And also, uh, Bernard, <laughs> and Bernard also has an amazing plugin um, for Beaver Builder, which integrates Beaver Builder and Pods together, which I've used on absolutely tons and tons of websites. So again, I'll come back to the chickens in a minute, but if people want to get involved in the comments today, please go to doipbuilds.com forward slash live, and there you can watch the stream, which you're probably already watching if you're listening to this, but also you can comment um, via the YouTube, or you can go into the Facebook group and comment via there. So hello, Christopher Hughes. I can see you're already commenting on there. So anyway, before we get to the news, um, Tell me about your chickens, Hans and Donata. So we have two that are fully grown, uh, and then we have four babies in the garage. So we have like a little setup for them in the garage. And uh, yeah, they're little firecrackers because they love walking across the street. Uh, and you know why the chicken crossed the road? It's because the bugs on the other side look better. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, so they end up in the neighbor's yards quite a bit, unfortunately. But, you know, they're good chickens. They just hang around and roam all day and get themselves into trouble. And, yeah. Yeah, My, my favorite part of the chickens is that um, uh, at one point in time, a neighbor complained about our chickens, I, I think. Um, and we had to move our shed into the backyard. And um, turns out there's a law that we can't have chickens. And uh, it's such a good representation of Donata. What did she do? Rather than getting rid of the chicken, she got the law changed. So now chickens are legal in our county. <laughs> um, and like people are embracing it. And tons of people are getting chickens yeah, now. Yeah, really there's cool. a lot of people getting chickens now because it's finally legal, <laughs> which is awesome. 
That is amazing. I mean, I always knew the two of you were pretty, you know, naughty when it comes to the law and everything. And this, this, this chicken breaking the law of the chickens is really kind of proving that. But that's crazy. But I'm really, I'm super happy that you managed to change the law. That's pretty cool for the community as yeah. well. I mean, uh, we were talking uh, in Messenger just before, and um, some people might know that I've got some chickens, but actually, I've actually currently only got one chicken. I know, yeah. One of the one of them died about two months ago, just of natural causes. And then the the other one we had before that got the fox got them, which is obviously when you have chickens. I don't know if this has happened to you yet, but oh yeah, it just goes with the territory that one or yeah. or, or some of them will get taken by a predator. Yeah. Um, but we also had a neighbour who didn't like our chickens as well. We but I don't think there's any laws as such, but. Uh, we had very low fences and our chickens would constantly jump over and, and the, the lady next door. Yes, she was she actually had a phobia of birds in general. Oh and no. the chickens, yeah, and the chickens would come to her back door and she was really, really scared. And we kept trying to put different fences up to stop it. We've moved house now and she's probably really, really happy. But we've currently got one chicken and but we've got two or three, I think, on order coming next awesome. month. So awesome. we're looking forward to getting the new batch to um to make friends with Mabel, so uh, That's great. Everything, yeah. everything wants to kill chickens. Yeah, like everything. we've had. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if you guys have these, but we have a lot of raccoons in our area. So they've tried to kill the chickens, and there was one time where one made it into the coop while the chickens were in there and didn't kill any of them. And Hans and I had to get it out, was... and I was hiding beneath a metal trash can lid, and yeah, I had a like pitchfork like in my hands. <laughs> And I was just trying to get it out. It was bad, but yeah. it's always an adventure. I would everything, say, chickens. everything yeah. wants to kill chickens from yeah. above. You know, you have yeah. hawks. From below, yeah. you have like raccoons. foxes, raccoons, possums. Coyotes. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely hard being a chicken. It's not an easy yeah. life. People might think. Well, well yeah. Uh, I mean, the only place chickens live here are in the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I mean, I do eat chicken as well, but yeah. I've, I've I've kind of changed. We, we'll come back to this chicken point later, actually. The chicken and food and the food industry. Uh, I think Jewel knows what I'm talking about here. But we should probably get into something that uh, we should probably get something into WordPress to some yeah, extent yeah. anyway. So um, I'm going to share I'm going to share the screen and our, our first um, our first article today. So as, as I mentioned earlier, let's see if we can pull this up. OK. There we go. Cool. Okay, so our first item today is the reason that Nathan isn't actually here, and is it, it's that the Page Builder Summit, which you can get to at page pagebuildersummit.com, is live and happening right now. So if you haven't signed up to that already, please go to pagebuildersummit.com after this show, obviously, and you can watch all of the um, talks for free. All of the talks that are on every day are available for free for 24 hours as well. But you can also upgrade to something called the Page Builder Summit Power Pack, where you can get um, access for a long, long time to all of those different talks. And I think that Termageddon and Doipy Manage Ninja are both, um, or Fluent CRM, are both sponsors of the Page Builder Summit as well, if, I, if I'm right. Uh, so again, thank you for that. So people, um, go and check that out because it is an absolutely incredible uh, schedule. We've got it on the screen at the moment. You can see the one of the first things that is happening every day is that you can get one of the vaulted uh, talks available, which means basically one of the really popular ones from last year. So um, Chantel's talk here was super popular last year. So that one's there available today. 
And then we kicked off today with a little talk with Nathan and Anchen, followed by legend Lee Matthew Jackson doing a talk about how Page Builder saved his business. Then we have Pichineri, who is a UX expert, and she's talking about typography with page builders. As we speak at the moment, don't compete with Gutenberg. Embrace it is happening right now. So some of you might be uh, dual watching. I don't know how you do that. But you could obviously watch that one later if you're watching this. Then we've got Beth Livingston um, up next, followed by, I don't know how you say this. I'm going to say Jake Fowle, who is talking about uh, Google's core web vitals with Gutenberg, followed by David Blackman talking about e-commerce with Divi, and then Jonathan Jernigan is talking about Oxygen Builder and then a live networking session at the end, which I imagine Bernard might well be in. Um, are you, is, is anybody attending the uh, summit? I assume that you hopefully are, being as two of you are sponsors. And Bernard, you, you always turn up to these things, don't you? So. Oh, yeah, we'll be there for sure. <laughs> yeah, of course. When Maybe not watching everything, but taking a look uh, what's going on, what people are telling. I mean, some of the talks you already know, like uh, the one from uh, Chantal, because she's great and she did a very nice talk last year. And I think uh, the day or two, there's a POTS talk from Scott from last year, which is a very good watch too. So he just, he already built up on the findings he had there with POTS Pro. So it's, it's, it's interesting. I think one of the highlights of last year was uh, the pods talk because, uh, if I remember rightly, Scott played his ukulele at the end of the talk. Was it? <laughs> Is that right? He, he made a little song and played a song at the end. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Yeah, yeah, maybe he'll do it. Yeah, he's not going <laughs> to obviously. He's he's not doing a live talk this year, but you know you can go and watch that again. Um, one of the focuses this year, though, does seem to be performance. So you've got the the block editor coming into play a lot in the summit and also um, performance. So there's quite a few talks about Core Web Vitals. Um, I've got a talk, and that is about Beaver Builder and Core Web Vitals. Um, we had here, what was, uh, let's just see. Um, Jake's talk is about Core Web Vitals. I know Mike Oliver from generatepress.com is talking about his work and also Core Web Vitals. So performance definitely seems to be a thing in this year's, um, in this year's schedule. But the thing I would say about this event is that it's a very polite event. So you can imagine that a page builder summit is is extremely tribal. Everybody's kind of like, this is my favorite. This is my favorite page builder. This is my favorite page builder. And normally in Facebook groups and communities that can really go downhill quickly, these kind of discussions. But Nathan Wrigley is involved in this. And whenever he's involved, it means it's going to be super, super polite. So he's British, what else? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Has anyone got anything they want to say about the summit before we move to the rest of the news items or should we move on? I got to say, like when I go to online networking events, I definitely rec online events in general, definitely recommend going to the networking portion. Um, especially now, I feel like I haven't seen another person except for Hans in like an eternity now, apart from like the grocery store. So it's nice to interact with people um, in these events. I definitely recommend going to that portion as well as the talks too. Yeah, I can't agree more. I mean, I'm hoping that it's like a video chat-based um, networking session. I'm not sure if it is, but I mean, it's absolutely right because we've obviously been starved from real events in the last couple of years. Almost, yeah. you know, it's going to be almost like two years until we're probably from the time we went to an event yeah. with people yeah. until we go to another one. 
and the the relationships that you make at real events are long lasting i mean hans and i met at an event and that's why you know i just thought today right i would love to have some people on the show today who can i you know reach out to i thought of hans and then nathan said oh that's great because he's a sponsor now as well um <laughs> but you know i think um these ones that you have at these summits where you do have the video screens and you can talk to each other are really nice. I mean, last year I actually went to a couple of those events, the digital ones, and specifically decided I need to try and make some new friends today. Yeah. I'm going to go here and, you know, turn the camera on, turn the microphone on and and, and just go out with the, the plan to meet a new person in the community and, and make a new friend, even if it's just one, one person. So I totally recommend turning your camera on if that is a possibility on this particular summit. I think and, the, um, the day one yeah. is a private one just for power pack buyers. So I don't know how it's going, how it's going to work because I didn't buy it. You didn't buy it? No. I won it from well, last year. And uh, I mean, most of the talks are kind of uh, repetitive for yeah. me at least. Yeah, um, I, I know my focus. I, I always look over the fans and come back to Beaver Builder because it's the only one for me, at least. Well, it was it was nice having Bernard on the show for a while, anyway. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> oh, the power, the power! No, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I think yeah, the live the live one is just for the power pack users. So I th I'm not sure how much the power pack costs, but I know it's a very um, reasonable price and I know uh, that it's, Bernard, it's, fair, you know, it's fair but I mean yeah really good price yeah anyway um Jewel have you got anything you want to say about the summit at all yeah. or should we move on to yeah. the next um, piece I, yeah I enjoy the online uh, actually uh, events actually because I can't go anywhere uh, in the last uh, one and a half year almost so uh, and I, I I miss the physical events uh, especially art camps because you know uh, we go to art camps uh, actually just don't want to you know uh, or the events or talks, okay, but also a talk with the real persons, uh, meet with them, uh, know about their business or sharing ideas, those type of things. So, you know, I still miss those things. And I think in online, uh, we can't actually do that. But maybe uh, what I do actually personally, that I joined in lots of, you know, Slack groups, uh, also Discord and many Facebook groups. So basically, I try to, you know, communicate as many people as I can uh, and then maybe talk with them. So yeah, definitely this is a very good and I'm a very big fan of, you know, the, this uh, Page Builder Summit, great talks. Like in this uh, event, I'm very interested to see the, you know, Web Vitals uh, related talks. Uh, that is very important. Uh, so, yeah, I am looking forward towards the uh, talks that I'm interested in, actually. Cool. I think um, it's definitely worth taking part and and doing yeah. everything you can in these last, you know, years to connect with people online. Because I think even when, when we are allowed to go to events and, you know, we eventually get to, um, you know, see each other all again and that kind of thing and, and meet new people, it's so much fun when you meet someone yeah. who you've met online and then you yeah. meet them for the first time in real life. But the hardest part for me was when you go somewhere and you walk into a room and there's 15 people who you've met online 
and you just yeah. don't know who to speak to first. You're just <laughs> completely overwhelmed. Like, oh my gosh, who, who do I? You know, I know, I know everyone in here, but I don't know them. It's yeah, it's but great. It's different yeah. on the live events because you stumble yeah. into one group and talk with one, and then the other guy chow and said, "Hello, do you know?" And it's yeah. another way of introduction yeah. because yeah, uh, you meet people, and it's not like you can't do that because only one can speak in these events unless you have multiple rooms, and then. Often one room is empty because everybody's in the main room and because it just the interaction isn't the same. Yeah, absolutely. I missed you at um, WordCamp Europe, Bernard. I was going to go to that event, but I didn't. I think it was 2019, 2019, I think. Yeah. And I saw, I saw all the photos of you there and everything. I was like, oh, man, I was going to be It was really great talking with Pika yeah. and Nathan and... and, and it's just you get another feeling for the people and have yeah. a drink afterwards. And it's like people don't have just blocked their one hour for the event and then they have to work because they are physically there. They can't really do their normal work and focus on the mm -hmm. event itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, let's move to the next item. So let's take a look what we've got coming up next. Oh, that's just me. Sorry. Right, here we go. <laughs> I told you I didn't really know what I was doing with this tool. Okay. So the next the next piece we've got is a kind of WordPress core um, update. This is an article on WordPress Tavern uh, by Justin Tadlock, and it's announcing that there is a new plugin called Classic Widgets, which basically um, disables WordPress. Um, block-based widget system that is getting built into core in WordPress 5.8, which is, I think, the next major release. So I think this is a move towards um, the block editor becoming like the main user interface for for kind of everything in WordPress. And also, I think um, widgets has been a clunky system of, of WordPress for forever, really. But it's something that we're all used to. So I'm kind of like... I'm kind of like welcoming that it's there, that this new thing is coming. But the funny thing for me is that, as usual, um, a new major feature gets released into WordPress core, and the immediate response is a official plugin to turn this new feature off, <laughs> um, which I know, Bernard, you find that particularly amusing as well. Um, so I don't know if anyone's got anything to say about this or if anyone does use widgets or is kind of welcoming the use of um, or the kind of slow phase out of widgets or something like that. It might not be something that anyone here has got too much interest in, but I think it's just yeah. showing that things are moving forward. But no, did you have something you wanted to say? Sorry. Well, uh, I mean, if it comes to widgets, uh, using page builders, it's, it's it isn't a thing really. I mean, mm. barely a sidebar anymore. And I think even the concept of a sidebar is 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 less and less used on many websites because it's becoming different. We don't have this content block and then the, besides it, uh, the options. I think it's a good thing that there are tools to disable new stuff because some people won't use it or don't like it. Uh, personally, you know, I'm still using uh, blocking the, uh, the Gutenberg for the classic editor because it's, it's a pain in the ass if you're dealing with structured content and custom fields and it's still not dealt with and I hope Every release, I hope they do something about it, but it seems maybe I'm too small of a user group uh, because it's great for content. No argument there if you're writing blog posts. And I think it will be great for the widget area because you can now have a little bit more dynamic and more styling options, especially for inexperienced users. It's maybe easier. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Anyone else got anything they want to say on this particular one, or is it? I mean, there's pros and cons to announcements <laughs> like this. You know, I mean, the other side is the fact that is if you try to disable all the new things as WordPress releases updates, you're going to find yourself just disabled and stuck in like 2020 or 2019 or before. So I think it's just a balancing act of, you know, staying on top of what's new and, you know, embracing it to, to the best degree you can, because, you know, with something that is open source that constantly improves on itself, like you kind of have to go, you have to roll with the punches to a certain degree. You have to take on the pros and cons of us all moving together with this one system. And, you know, there might be some things you don't like, there might be some things you do. So, I would say, you know, it's great that features like this get released where people can disable certain things that they don't necessarily want, but also just keeping up, keeping in mind that, you know, it's going to be there probably moving forward uh, ongoing. Yeah, there's no stopping the, the momentum of this project moving forward. You know, whether we like it or not, the block editor and full site editing is, is coming. So it's kind of like, I, I'm personally at the point where I guess I may as well embrace it. Uh, having been in denial for some time. But um, Jewel, you, you have a number of WordPress projects um, and plugins, yeah. and some of those are pretty big plugins. Um, for you, yeah. just in general, not just the widgets, because the widgets is kind of just a minor thing, but for you, yeah. for you in general, in terms of like what the WordPress core project is doing, is this affecting you in a positive or a negative? Is it like opportunity or is it a headache? You know, I think uh, the classic editor is, you know, so old and uh, I don't know, you know, people are, people are, were solving problems, the classic editor with, you know, custom layout, uh, lots of, you know, metadata and those type of things. And I think, uh, you know, Gutenberg is a blessing, like for our use case, uh, we are using it, you know, before uh, 5.20, uh, we were started, we were started using it uh, as a plugin. And now our content editors actually, you know, easily, you know, make the blog post, uh, 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 build the blog post beautifully and more interactive. So I think, you know, people should embrace it. And even I see that even someone actually like the, you know, classic editor, still they can actually use it, use it, uh, you know, same thing. They can actually use it as a uh, block, as a classic editor. They have some, you know, problem with the, Know, custom fields, those type of things. But I think you know people should embrace the changes. It's really cool. I am really excited about you know Gutenberg. Uh, and uh, for the plugin developers, I think this is a, a new new thing, new opportunity. And you know, lots of companies are actually building blocks. Uh, and uh, you know, is a performance wise. Uh, I love uh, Gutenberg. Like. Uh, our sites were built using Elementor, you know, back I think 2015, 16. Now we are trying to convert those, you know, uh, sites to, you know, Gutenberg because uh, this is fast, this is good. Uh, I don't think that uh, I, I can't understand why people are still using, say, classic editor. <laughs> I can give you a reason. <laughs> I don't have a reason uh, for that. So. Yeah, so I think you know people should start using it. Maybe you know, uh, you know, if someone actually let me know why people are still using you know, classic editor. Still, I can tell you why I used it, and it's quite simple yeah. because of the user interface. If you're working with fields, like we have customers where I have like uh, 
not really blog post type-ish stuff. So just yeah. think about people, think about, uh, I don't know, rooms or books or whatever. And, yeah. and coming from pods, I work mainly on stuff, which is I always try to structure it. Like it has some custom fields because I don't know, like if you have a person, first name, second name, address, telephone number, and this stuff is poorly done in Gutenberg because it's far below uh, the custom fields, so the people don't see that first. And um, most of the time, it's anyway a blueprint and not their design of because every person should look the same, like a directory or stuff like that. And then the the meta fields in this small sidebar. It's so small on the side. If you have categories or taxonomies and all that that, that metadata, that's poorly done. Sorry. It, yeah, it's great for you. Sense. It's great to have your long form content. No discussions yeah. there. You can put your images in and you can have your text and all that stuff. But everything around it, if you deal with yeah. more structured sites, is just isn't there. It's 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 a nightmare for users to 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 deal with it because Yeah, yeah I totally yeah. understand that. You know, so I think that you know people should uh, kind of you know embrace Gutenberg fast. Then, if someone has a custom post type, like say people directory, then people think people should just disable the you know Gutenberg in that <laughs> custom post type, and they have that option actually. So when you actually yep. register in post type, you can actually just disable the you know REST API, and the Gutenberg will be disabled in that post. So uh, it's like you know uh, it depends on the requirements, but you know most of the people I see some people that they don't have this type of post type they still uh, try to build their blog post uh, in a, a classic editor <laughs> so you know say so it's like it's not like uh, i think they did not try it or they tried uh, before it was uh, got matured but still they are you know trying to you know use it uh, no matter what <laughs> so, so it's like you know uh, if a custom post type actually uh, need like uh, many you know, structural data, uh, post uh, post meta. Then yeah, that makes sense that you can we can disable that for specific that post type. But for page or you know the post, uh, I think it's a great uh, Gutenberg is great, and I really you know love love it. And I am also excited about the you know 5.8 uh, that you know I can still the, the thing is actually that uh, the, in the classic widget, I can actually do the same thing with the new you know, site builder widget interface. So that is also you know, cool. I don't know why WordPress actually release a you know, disable uh, widget feature, but uh, I tried the beta uh, of WordPress uh, 90 build, and I see that I could do the same thing with the uh, site builder uh, options. Well, with the widgets, yeah, with the widget, yeah. because you will get all the widget actually, old widget uh, into into your site. Yeah, I think um, one of the one of the, the benefits of this particular plugin. I don't know if we all need to use this or not, but one thing I did see in the Dopey Tavern article was it showed that uh, on some websites, just the formatting of like an existing widget might change very uh, subtly yeah, but yeah. if you kind of had your design perfect and then suddenly you know you manage 50 or 100 websites for clients or something oh yeah then yeah. it might be something to for anyone who's kind of managing multiple websites just to 
just to install just in case and then do some spot checking on different sites to see yeah. you know where where problems are appearing and seeing if we need to keep you know if the plugin needs to stay there for a while they've said that they're going to support it for something like a year or two anyway so there's plenty of time to migrate those kind of things over but it is it is another thing that we need to be aware of and um not everybody's happy about it i'm kind of on the fence i would say we had lee matthew jackson on the show just the other day and actually he's kind of moving away from wordpress almost altogether um as a platform not necessarily leaving the community as such he's just using he's just decided that the platform isn't right for his business anymore and he kind of felt that the the pay, you know, the, the Gutenberg block editor and, and the way that um, Matt Mullenweg, for instance, was thinking about the the whole experience was was very much almost like a competition to something like Wix or Squarespace rather than thinking about um, what people like Bernard are thinking about with custom fields and this kind of more of a database type of, of website. But then again, we know pods, you know, there's a new version of pods um, either out or coming out. You've got tool, uh, tool set as well. And to some extent, it seems that like there is some embracing of the block editor there, even if it's kind of reluctant. But I guess we don't really have that much choice. We need to um, we need to move forward, and unfortunately, <laughs> and, uh, and and all of us, I guess, have got some some work to do. But Jewel, I think you're right. I think there is there's a lot of stuff to be excited about on in the future. But it does feel that like for some time, we've been stuck waiting to see what's happening. And, and we're just about at the point now, I think, where like the community of third-party plugins will genuinely jump on and start moving things forward. But we'll see what the next year brings, really. <clears throat> um, any other comments on this particular plugin or the block editor in general, or should we move on? We can move on. All right, brilliant. Right, look at that. Look, uh, we, found, we found an old article from the archives from Termageddon. And this isn't because you, you guys are sponsors. This is just because you're here and you're experts. And I think that we uh, it's a good opportunity to talk to you about this. So this is one of your own um, blog posts on termageddon.com. And it's called, Is Your WordPress Privacy Policy Compliant? And what's interesting about this article to me is that uh, the actual WordPress system itself comes with like a kind of basic template for a privacy policy. And I think the problem with, well, let's just say the positive thing about that is that it, it makes it visible. And this yes. is one of the things that you said in the article. So you, you, you're you aware that, you know, your site should have a, a privacy policy and WordPress core gives you the option to have one. The downside is that your typical user is probably a little bit ignorant like me <clears throat> in in that we kind of think, okay, that's there. I assume that meets all the needs that I had privacy policy, done, I can move to the next thing, see what, what's the next thing I need to worry about. But it's probably not the case. So while we've got you on the show, I was wondering, you know, if the majority of people are assuming that, you know, if WordPress ships with a uh, privacy policy, then that's good enough, surely. First of all, is that the case? Uh, and second, if it's not, uh, what are the benefits of taking this more seriously or the consequences of not taking it seriously enough because i think the, the standard reaction is i will just try and ignore this yes okay. yeah <laughs> as a former agency owner i used to copy and paste privacy policies for my clients all the time it was yeah, on that I, I ended up having to marry a privacy attorney to realize that's probably not a good strategy long term um 
but I'll look that's all, that's all you have to do. Hopefully WordPress can yeah. make a match for you with a privacy attorney <laughs> yeah. and then you'll be all set. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think when it comes to the privacy policy template that WordPress comes with, you know, the core team did a great job on that. Their goal was to provide um, awareness for people that they need to have a privacy policy. That was the goal with the template. The goal with the template was not to comply with any privacy law. It's just to bring your attention to the fact that you need a privacy policy, which I think is great. Unfortunately, the privacy policy that it came with, and you're welcome to read the blog post and, and all of that, uh, it's not compliant with any privacy law. Um, so there's not a single privacy law that the template complies with. So it's really, I personally wouldn't use it, uh, especially when it comes to like people who are not lawyers or some paragraphs or just like the paragraph title and then you're expected to write the rest. And, you know, that's that doesn't really work for most people unless you are a lawyer or a privacy lawyer. Um, and then when it comes to writing a privacy policy, the way that every single lawyer will write a privacy policy and the way that a privacy policy should be written is the first step is figuring out what privacy laws apply to you. Because each privacy law has a series of things that's required to have in it, right? So it has a series of disclosures that you need to have in your privacy policy. So if you don't know what privacy laws apply to you, you don't know what those disclosures need to be. Um, and then, you know, your privacy policy is not compliant. So, you know, the goal of having a privacy policy is not just to have a privacy policy, it's to comply with the privacy laws that apply to you so that you don't get fined or sued. <clears throat> and right now there's over 20 privacy bills being considered in the United States as well. So when you use a template like this, it doesn't notify you when these laws go into effect. It doesn't tell you what changes you need to make. Um, so it's just not a good compliance solution for right now. And it's also not a good compliance solution for the future. So, you know, some of these smaller businesses that are just starting out, you know, it's a free template. You want to use that because it's free and you think it's fine. Um, but unfortunately, if you get fined for privacy law, not compliance, WordPress isn't going to pay for that. Um, they're just not. And fines for privacy laws um, are actually calculated per website visitor. So starting out at $2,500 per website visitor. So let's say you have 100 visitors from California and have a contact form but don't have a privacy policy. That's 2,500 times 100. WordPress isn't going to pay for that. That's going to be on you. And the size of your business doesn't really matter either. So my suggestion would be to, to make at least a small investment into this so you can kind of pass that compliance threshold and then not have to worry about it versus using a free solution that's not compliant and then kind of, you know, being in trouble later on. Yeah. Where I personally stand is, you know, as someone who built websites for clients who, you know, didn't necessarily uh, value privacy that other people, you know, might may value it at. It's my message to agency owners is pretty clear, which is don't make decisions on behalf of your client if they want to comply with privacy laws or not. Rather, allocate that liability to them. Let them be aware of the fact that, hey, we built a website with a contact form. That means you're collecting personal information and you may need to provide a privacy policy with making specific disclosures. You know, hey, we installed Google Analytics. You know, same exact concept. Um, so my biggest thing that I advocate for is don't be the one to make the decision for your client if they want to comply with privacy laws or not. Rather, you know, have some privacy attorneys you can connect them with, or you could use a program like Termageddon, you know, 
it's the most comprehensive generator out there. But anyways, you know, or find some sort of way to help your clients, um, you know, get a co comprehensive set of policies for the website. Um, don't be the one to make the decision for yeah. them. Uh, let's say let's say you are an agency. Um, I I was an agency. Now I'm more like a freelancer these days, doing different things. But I still have clients that I manage. And um, let's say one of your so first of all, let's go to the agency situation. So let's say you're an agency and you tell first the first step you get right is that you you stop trying to um, help your customers do the wrong thing by going, I don't know, don't worry about it, let's just copy and paste this one. So first of all, you, you never should do that. No. Number two, you um, put the responsibility with them and try and help them understand um, what the situation is. What if they're not interested? What, As an agency owner, what's your, what's your liability as the creator of the website? Do you need something in your own contract or something? Or Yeah, so really that's where your contract with your clients comes in. Um, hmm. And your contract should say that you're not offering any warranties and that you're not uh, promising that the website will be compliant with privacy laws or with accessibility laws or anything like that. So make sure that your contract has that. Um, and then tell your client in writing that they need to have a privacy policy. So what I would do is, you know, send them an email or have them sign like a waiver or something like that saying, you know, your website is collecting personal information. We recommend that you look into having a privacy policy for your website as you may be required to have one by law, right? And at that point, the client just signs off on it saying, yes, I do want to do this or no, I don't want to do this. And then at that point, it's up to them. like. It's their responsibility to make sure that their website is compliant. You can't really shove it down their throats as much as we'd love to. Um, but definitely make sure that you do this in writing and make sure that you check your contracts. I know some contract templates say like, um, you know, this website will be compliant with all applicable laws, rules and regulations. Uh, make sure that your contract doesn't say that. Make sure that you're adequately protecting yourself. Or, or make sure you're charging seven figures for each website. You I wouldn't have, even so. do it for that. <laughs> I, I would not even do it for that. So, <laughs> so yeah, that, that the, the documentation piece is what I'm a huge advocate for. Like you can bring a horse to water, but you can't force it to drink. And that is a statement that I think every agency or freelancer, I use the word agency and I, I mean every, like anyone who builds websites for clients. Like, you know, everyone knows what that statement's all about. And like with privacy law compliance, with website policies in general, like rather than pretending this is not real, just embrace it, let them know they need to find a solution so that in, in your objective is to get a response and they could be like, hey, thanks, but I'm just not interested in website policies. Awesome. Now you have it documented so that if they do get fined or sued for privacy law noncompliance, like you have a document you can follow or you have a record. Evidence. Yeah, you have a record yep. where you said, I discussed this yeah. with you. And that's all yeah. that really matters. I mean, look, I get it. Small business owners, they have to put their budgets into things and you know, maybe that they don't have the room to budget for, you know, a generator or a privacy attorney. That's fine. But that doesn't mean you should be making that decision for yeah. them without even bringing it up to them. And I think it actually be surprised as to how many of your clients are like, oh, man, I didn't know that. That's a great thing to know. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of clients feel that way. And a lot of clients are, are thankful that, you know, agencies bring this up with them. Um, as well as privacy policies, does Termageddon offer things like terms and conditions for things like e WooCommerce stores and stuff like that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, terms. Yeah. Disclaimer. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think like uh, privacy policies, cookie policies are kind of 
they're, they're kind of classed as like a defensive thing that we have to do as such. I know that's possibly wrong, but I did listen to a podcast a few years ago that really made me rethink the concept of terms and conditions on websites. The, the terms and conditions. So yeah, the privacy policy, that's there to protect your users as such, and also the, the website owner from the law. But the terms and conditions, especially if you've got anything e-commerce related, is 100% there to protect the business. So when a business decides not to bother with terms and conditions, they're basically saying, I don't have any terms and conditions. If I get taken to court, I'm not stating which country I even get taken to court into and all that kind of stuff. So I think um, it's definitely worth looking into the stuff that uh, you guys do for terms and conditions because even if someone's not interested in privacy policy, they should be having a terms and conditions to protect their business uh, as such from anything that can go wrong online because we know things go wrong online. Are people getting fined now so, as well for data and privacy policies and terms these days? Is it pretty pretty common now in the States? Yeah, so for terms of service, um, terms of service can help limit your liability on your website. We definitely recommend it for any website. So, for example, like if you have a link to your Facebook or your LinkedIn pages um, and somebody goes there and gets a virus or gets injured, um, otherwise, you know, you want to make sure that you limit your liability there, um, potentially limit the likelihood of lawsuits for copyright infringements on like images and stuff like that that are uploaded on the site. So, you know, terms and conditions is a great way to protect your business, too. Um, we do in terms of the privacy policy or actually in terms of terms of service. Uh, nobody's really getting fined by government regulators for their terms of service unless it's like you're running some kind of a scam, right? Uh, terms of service is much more, much less government regulations and much more, um, you know, protection for your business if you're in the U.S. If you're in the U.K., Canada, and the EU, you do need to have like consumer protections in there. Um, that's very important. That's the way you can get fined for terms in uh, the EU and such. And then uh, when it comes to privacy policies, we do see a lot of fines going around for um, GDPR non-compliance in the EU. Um, that's huge. I mean, there's been thousands and thousands of fines that have been issued. Um, in the US, um, we are starting to see some movement uh, in terms of like California's new privacy law. Um, and we're starting to see a lot more lawsuits from California as well. Um, and you know, as more of these laws pass, we'll see more enforcement. Um, some privacy laws, Privacy bills are actually even suggesting allowing consumers to sue businesses directly, um, which I think will be interesting to see if that passes. And the way I like to look at it is, you know, five years ago when SSLs were around, but let's be real, you know, you got them for e-commerce stores and you didn't really think much beyond that. But nowadays, when you go to a website that's not secure, you don't feel secure. You know, I mean, I think everyone feels that way. And that's how I feel about privacy policies. Like, don't get me wrong, Donato's right. Like privacy laws exist right now and require specific disclosures to be made. But there are bills like New York's, New York has three bills, but one of their bills will enable citizens of New York to sue any business of any size located anywhere for having as little as a contact form on their website without a privacy policy providing their specific disclosure requirements. Um, uh, Canada's privacy law, Pipetta, they're proposing a change to that. And there's 28 other privacy bills in the U.S. So what we see is that I very much think of this as the proactive era where people can educate their clients about the growing importance of privacy law compliance. 
um, and propose a strategy, something like Termageddon or a, a privacy attorney or something like that, to keep those privacy policies up to date when New York passes, if New York passes that bill, um, or the 28 other bills that are out there right in the U.S. You know, I think five years from now, in the future, we're going to look at this time and be like, remember when companies used to just collect all your data and didn't really care about what they had, you know, in, in terms of how they disclosed it? I think we're going to see the same thing, like how we saw with SSL certificates, we're going to see the same thing with privacy policies. Yeah, I, I can totally see that. I mean, especially in the last, you know, couple of couple of years where, you know, COVID has meant that we've had to do what we're told by the government all the time, you know, more than we would normally be uh, used to doing. I think people are more aware of that their data is being collected. Then you've got Facebook and Apple fighting over data and, and, and you know, Apple advocating for their users' data. And I think that that will trickle down, like you said, Hans, and basically website owners will start to realize that having a really good disclosure on their website is not just something to stop them getting fined. It's something to tell all of their users, hey, we're really responsible, we really value you, yes. and yeah. we're gonna look after your data. And nice, I like that, Bernard, that's really cool. It shouldn't have um, happened. <laughs> so yeah, for anyone only listening to this, Bernard is playing again with his uh, background patterns on his uh, camera. I mean, if we're always, talking about privacy fun. policies, we got to be doing something entertaining, right? So yeah, yeah. Bernard was clearly so engaged in that conversation, he started pressing. No, no, this tool has a, had an update that has a new timer, and we're gonna stop that. There you go. Well, look what happened there. Well done, Bernard. You've you've disappeared <laughs> from the stream now. For the second yeah, time yeah. today. You kicked me, you kicked me again. <laughs> I, I didn't kick you. You don't you no, you kicked yourself out this time. I don't know what you are now. You're just a rotating icon at the moment. You're back. You're back. <laughs> um cool. Well, definitely then I think um anyone who's interested in this kind of thing, go to termageddon.com and check out uh the the different options there. And also you'll also find Hans and Donata in all of the the usual Facebook groups and and also, you've been really generous and supported lots of events and stuff that's going on of late. And I've met you, Hans, as well at an event. And I can just say that you are a super friendly, approachable person. And Donata, you must be as well if uh, if the two of you are together. So, and we're you like chickens? Yeah, we're opposite, so she's only yeah. unfriendly. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, well, you I'm both just... like chickens, so you must be good people. That's so, right. Yeah, I was just telling Donata some great stories about when we first met. That was a, yeah. a life-changing event for me. I had just sold my agency, went full-time Termageddon, and yeah, never looked back. It, it's been amazing uh, because of people like you that I got to meet. So. Yeah, I hope I hope that we get to do that again. Um, I'm looking for. I mean, I know that there will be events like that again soon. But I mean, we we effectively met on stage. Yeah. So no, normally, when Hans and I are speaking, we're either on a, a stage or a live stream of some sort. And um, but in the good thing in the real world, we we're able to have you know a beer after and everything yeah. as well, and, and talk after. But yeah, that was that was awesome, and yeah. um, I really enjoyed meeting you there as well. Um, all right. Has anyone got anything else they want to say about privacy policies as such, or should we move on to fluent CRM? 
I think we reached our quota in terms of how long we can talk about privacy policies. It's it's no longer a, a discussion we can have. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, Bernard Bernard seemed to feel like he needed to move on as well, didn't he? So, so we can move on. So anyway, back in when was this? When was this? Um, when was Fluent CRM 2.0 released, Joel? Which month was uh, that? I, yeah, I think two weeks ago we released. Uh, CRM 2.0. So it was actually yeah. a, uh, the big update. So lots of uh, things we integrated uh, in this version. The main uh, feature was that the multipath uh, that is you are seeing now, multipath conditional automation funnel. So that was yeah. the biggest update so far. And I believe this is the feature that you know Active Campaign have. And I think. It's a very powerful feature that you can run automation uh, based on certain condition of your contact. Like if someone actually purchased a product, if they uh, did not purchase, then actually promote another product, something like that. So that is that was uh, you know 2.0, and we also added uh, lots of uh, other features too. Basically, we we release a, a new a new update every month uh, of Fluent CRM. Yep. Well, Fluent Forms came onto the market. This is your one of your other products, Fluent Forms, yeah. as a direct competition to Gravity Forms, and has been really, yeah. really well received. I think that yeah. I don't know if I'm right with this, but you seem to answer all of the things that people were slightly frustrated with around Gravity Forms. You listened to that feedback from the community that wasn't necessarily being implemented for gravity forms gravity forms like a solid product but it wasn't moving very fast at least it didn't seem like that as a customer i was i was a customer of gravity forms um and then you had your product fluent forms which we did really really well and wow. then you moved into the area of creating a, a full-on customer relationship management software yeah within wordpress itself fluent crm and then you obviously yes. launched 2.0 a couple of months ago now i've got to say uh, when I first heard about CRMs coming into WordPress, I was like, that is the wrong thing. We shouldn't be having CRMs in WordPress. But I have to admit that when I was thinking that way, I was actually completely delusional about something else in my business at the time. So if you look at kind of the people that you're aiming at, web designers, agencies, business owners, yeah. I had something like 25 clients Right, yeah. so I could I could have no CRM and just call all of them over the space of one day. I could potentially phone call every single one of my clients in one day. So I was always looking personally at CRMs of like, right, I need what you know, two thousand contacts. I need to be able to do all these automations, all this kind of thing. And so when I realized later on that maybe I get two inquiries a week maximum, yeah, and I don't need to have a massive, um, you know, automation going on with Zapier connecting to 15 different apps. Yeah, I realized that maybe it is a good place to have your CRM inside WordPress because you can have your forms collecting stuff in WordPress. And then that's going straight into your CRM where you've got your automations. You might yeah. then be converting those people to WooCommerce customers, which you can yes. then interact with in the CRM. And then definitely more recently, I did the talk I've done at the Page Builder Summit was all about Core Web Vitals, right? And yeah. one of the things that I found in in my research into, into that was that the more external scripts that you have on your website, 
the more delay in loading that you're having. So I started to think that if you're using something like Active Campaign and you're tracking users, then you've got a constant tracking script loading in the background, tracking everything. Wherever, it, but if you have that on WordPress itself, then it's not loading externally. So it really started to make sense to me that you could build your whole funnel within within a CRM on your website, especially if you don't have five thousand customers, right? If you if you've got like twenty five, and so or, or even a few hundred or something, it totally makes sense. And I and I know if anyone's just listening to this right now, they can't really see it. But the thing I'm looking at at the moment was what Jewel was talking about, which is the multipath conditional automation funnel. And I can't believe that this is in WordPress. I'm looking, I'm looking here at this automation <laughs> diagram that you can create within your WordPress website. And it's, this is the kind of thing that used to really turn me on with SaaS software. I would buy any software that had a diagram in it like this. So it's, you know, well done to you guys building this straight into WordPress. But um, the, the thing is as well, the actual article we want to discuss is that Fluent CRM has won, and congratulations, has won TalkMag's WordPress Plugin Madness competition 2021, which is a community voted um, competition. Yes. And you've got previous winners of this competition because it's been running since 2016. You've got advanced custom fields. Yes. Sorry, sorry, Bernard. Uh, you've got DoyP Smush won two yeah. years in a row. You've got Elementor won two years in a row. So these are huge known plugins. And this year, Fluent CRM won it. And you are the youngest plugin to win it as well, as far as I understand. So you are a new product yeah. coming to into the market here and you've won this this competition. And I know that this competition is kind of just a bit of fun. Yeah. But it is prestigious and people yeah. do take notice and it is super impressive to have won it so first of all congratulations yeah thank you second how did how did this all happen like how did how okay. come you entered and because i saw that some you got some influencers really backing yeah. you on this yeah um, definitely so i'm really interested so, to see what happened there yeah definitely so I, I i would like to share actually so i don't know how we got into the competition actually so maybe someone from our team or someone, uh, some of our one of our customers actually, uh, you know, uh, enter, uh, you know, give the information to TalkMag actually, and then in the first round, I don't know how we, you know, uh, on the uh, first round uh, because uh, you know I did not, you know, uh, did not you know, focus on that. So after the first round, someone actually. Uh, shared in our Facebook group that, hey, you are in the, now in the second round. So then I actually focused. And then I see that lots of our customers actually talking about it. And uh, the first of all, actually, our customer base or how we operate our business that is a bit different than other companies. Basically, we build our products around our community. So we have a Facebook group uh, for Fluent Forms as well as another group for Fluent CRM. And we, our team actually talk to our customers directly and we discuss lots of things, what features should be in our next version or in this quarter. And basically our customers uh, give us idea what need to be implemented. Same for Fluent Forms, same for you know, Fluent CRM. And uh, so basically we have a very strong community and we 
we listen to our users and then implement those features that our customers uh, uh, on. So they are like our partner. So when we are in the second round, then they, uh, our customers actually, uh, they have other communities and, uh, a moment, sorry, yeah. So they actually shared the uh, competition to their own community, like say Martech, uh, WP, uh, WP Crafter. So they have a huge audience. So like WP Crafter has like four, uh, I think forty thousand uh, users, and uh, Martech has like ten thousand plus users. So they also love us, our company, and basically they they voted for us. Uh, and without their support, we could not do that. So once we are in the like say, same final, uh, then our our customers actually got more excited than us. So basically, then we finally we won that. So it's not a full of our credit, or it's not we have a very big numbers, but the community we you know uh, we covered that was actually very big. Like I think some people actually voted us even they did not use Fluent CRM. Maybe they were our you know, Fluent Forms users. So we have like 70,000 Fluent Forms users. So they also you know, voted for us because uh, they did not use Fluent CRM, but they know the company and they want to help. So I think it was like a network effect and that's how actually we won. Uh, yeah, it was actually you know, pretty exciting. So it was like, uh, you know, uh, a fluent CRM in this market, actually, in this competition, fluent CRM was like the uh, underdog. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, did you, when you won the uh, competition, did yeah. they did they send you anything like a trophy or a certificate? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. So they they emailed me actually. They are saying that okay, they are working on a trophy and they will send yeah. to send to send to me. So <laughs> it was actually fun. That's cool. That's cool. That is yeah. very, very cool. Um, it's funny on the screen at the moment we have a comment from someone in one of the yeah. um so, one of the communities yeah. there. Yeah. And this is the chap yeah. here called Ewok, who I actually yeah. remember this guy from the communities when I used to buy a lot of software all the time. I had to leave yeah. a lot of those communities because honestly, I was I became prob properly addicted to buying software <laughs> for a while. So I had to, I've left all those communities for now just so I can, you know, control myself basically. But yeah. this guy here, Ewok, I remember him and he is the hardest person to make happy about any software. If you release some software and there's anything kind of ignorant about the way you're releasing this or you're trying to, you know, trick the community or something like that, this guy would tear you to pieces. Uh, yeah. So you got a positive comment here from Ewok, and that's really, really good. And you can see up here there's um, a uh, comment from Atli here from the Martech yeah. group, and there is Adam Prizer there uh, supporting yeah. you. And um, he's got a huge uh, YouTube channel as well, which I know that um, you can go and check out his channel, actually, because he's got some content about um, – he's covered your CRM a couple of times on there, so you can go and find out how yeah. that all works. So what's next for Fluent CRM then? I mean, you need to probably have a rest okay. first and have a so, little break. Yeah, definitely. But... So we have a you know, full-fledged team for Fluent CRM. And yeah, so basically we have a, a team for a specific product. Like we have a separate team for Fluent from, separate team from Fluent CRM, and also NinjaTable and our other products. So we have a very big team actually. And 
at the fluent crm team uh, they are kind of you know working with some other parts so our product name is actually fluent crm but actually it only currently it only you know automate your kind of uh, email marketing okay and some other automations but it does not do other things like a real crm too our target is actually to make the you know build other modules uh, for how a true crm should have features and we will build those and we will release those uh, component too so that, that is a kind of you know our goal for you know fluent crm uh, one of the component that we uh, currently uh, we are working that is the support so we have you know lots uh, most of our actually customers are agency and they need to manage the support ticketing system for their clients and currently they are using uh, you know saas services so they were asking if we want to if we can you know uh, provide the support from our wordpress to because we have the crm in wordpress all the data here so we'll get more insight from a uh, support system but you know it is, makes sense because when you will see a support ticket you can actually see all your data uh, in your in your just beside your support system so uh, maybe in the next quarter we will release our uh, support uh, support ticket system and then we have a plan for you know for offline businesses we have a plan for uh, like sales pipeline system to build on top of uh, fluent crm so that is another thing that are, we are actually planning now nice well charlie there you go there's your answer charlie had a comment there <laughs> jewel are you bringing out a support system plugin i heard a rumor so is that confirmed then you you guys are releasing a support system plugin yeah it's it's confirmed actually because currently we are using it i think last 3 months we are using in our website so we yeah. are giving all the support uh, ticketing replies and managing every query from our own plugin and we i think we uh, we have like 20 people they are uh, helping us uh, in the beta phase and they are actually they started using it uh, in their real websites it's still in beta <laughs> cool cool well check it out look at this that is the actual <laughs> trophy that they're going to send to you. I, I, I hope that that trophy is as good as that one. I mean, that looks like, it's like Champions a, League soccer level trophy. A wizard tournament oh, trophy. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be going to build it. <laughs> I'll make it. So it's not, I, I don't hope, think I hope. they will send something like that. But uh, I think whatever they send, that will be really fun. <laughs> That's yeah, funny. yeah. Well, I hope it, make sure you post it in the Dopey Builds group when you, yeah, uh, when you post a photo of the trophy when that comes through. Yeah. So yeah, well, well done. Well done. That's, um, Charlie wants to know when it's launching and he wants to buy the lifetime deal, which he assumes. I assume you'll you'll be selling a lifetime deal. I did actually see uh, people were talking in the um, Page Builder Summit saying, "What's your best lifetime deal?" And um, Fluent CRM was one of the top. Uh, yeah yeah so basically when we launch a product we give a lifetime deal uh, for people so getting yep. the initial initial customer base initial supporter because our customers actually uh, is one of the part of our uh, or part of our you know future development because we want to help them uh, what they like what they dislike what features it should be there so for us uh, initial customer base that that is very important for us and very helpful for us 
So uh, it really helps uh, a, a LTD yeah. users. And so it, it, it also, it, it's good. And I, I can have, uh, I, uh, I can say that uh, our, uh, it's like eight months of fluent CRM and we have really a good uh, ERR and our monthly sales is really looks good. It's like, even it's like uh, we are in, in eight months, we are in break, break even point. Uh, still, we have like uh, many developers in this project, but we, 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 are, we are in break even. So kind of, I think from the next month, uh, this project will be actually the profitable uh, itself. Yeah, I think so. you're doing great. And I think uh, Adam Prizer, what did he say? He said, in his words, um, you're crushing it, is what he said. <laughs> so obviously you're doing pretty well there. Um, just while we've got Hans and Donata on the show, so if you have a CRM built into WordPress, I mean, if you've got a CRM outside of WordPress, then it's, I guess it's the same. Um, but is there anything extra that, you know, if you were advising your customers, um, that their clients had websites using a CRM. Do you, is there anything special people need to know or is it just you need to disclose that and how you're using the information as usual and there's nothing extra special there? Yeah, so a privacy policy is built of three main parts. Obviously, there's a lot more specific disclosures that are required based on the laws that apply to you, but you need to let people know what information you're collecting, what you do with that information and who you share it with. So for CRM, you know, if you're using that, you'd say, all right, we collect names and emails. We use that information to manage our interactions with you and to uh, kind of track you as a customer of, of where you are. Um, and then you also need to say that you share it with a CRM. And a lot of people are very confused by this when talking about what, who you share personal information with. Number one, almost every website shares personal information with someone. So sharing personal information, the fact that you disclose that isn't like going to cause consumers to gasp and leave your website. Like everyone shares information that's completely normal. Um, and then another issue is that people will list the name of the CRM um, or they will say, we share your information with the CRM. And both of those are completely correct. Um, but one of them requires, can require a lot more updates to your privacy policy than the other. So for example, let's say you're sharing information with an email marketing system, right? And right now you should share it with MailChimp. So you can list, I share it with MailChimp, or you can say, I can share it with an email marketing system. So if you say, I share it with an email marketing system, and you change from MailChimp to Constant Contact, you don't need to update your privacy policy. But if you list MailChimp, then you need to update your privacy policy every time you, um, you share that information with a different vendor. So we personally recommend doing it as to the category. So saying it, I share it with a CRM or I share it with an email marketing vendor. So you don't need to make a bunch of updates every time you switch vendors, especially with clients who don't tell you that they switch vendors either, right? Um, so that's basically what you would need to disclose. Uh, and I do see a question from Charlie. Does Termageddon cover the UK law? Yes, we do. Um, and that is for the uh, privacy policy and the terms. And I'll, I'll jump in real quick. Yeah. You know, when you're now that you're ready, everyone listening, now that you're ready to leave HubSpot and go to Fluent CRM, that's a great example of um, why we go the route of disclosing with whom do you share data with, just say CRM. That way you don't have to change out the actual names with who you need to share with. So, yeah. a very common misconception we hear uh, time and time again is people yeah. saying, 
oh, I thought you have to list the actual names of the companies with whom you share data with. No, you do not. A perfectly compliant alternative is to list the categories with whom you share data with. And because of GDPR and the UK Data Protection Act, which are mere copies of each other, um, uh, because of the fact that they disclose also that you should keep your policies as short as possible, that's yet another reason to focus on um, listing the categories with whom you share data with rather than the names of the companies. Um, so yeah, that's my thoughts. Well, first of all, that's that's great to get that confirmed about the categories because I get that question a lot and or I used to anyway. But secondly, I didn't realize you were doing UK law now. I thought that, um, I don't know if that was relatively recent that you've you started actually, doing that? Or? I believe we're the only generator yeah, to address it at couple first. Months when back. It, happened. it took a while because UK has very specific consumer protection laws. Yeah. So if you're doing business online with consumers, your terms of service actually needs to be completely different than when you do business with other businesses. And no other generator covers that. Uh, so no other generator will actually include the consumer protection rules. And if you break those rules, then the terms of service is not enforceable um, or you can get in trouble with consumer protection authorities, things like that. So it's very important to make sure that your terms of service covers consumer protection laws if you do business with other consumers online, especially in the UK, because you guys have some really nice rules for for consumers and some really nice protections that I'm very jealous of living in the US. Mm. Also in Ireland, we, we, we just launched Ireland a few months ago and the, the consumer protection laws in Ireland are insane. Yeah, like, I want to move there just for the consumer protection rules, you man. Can, You're a like king as a consumer yeah. in those countries. It's crazy. You can buy something and then return it seven years from the date yeah. of when you bought it for a full refund. Seven years. <laughs> Like, it's great as a consumer. A crazy, but I'm used yeah. to crazy because I know I know if you know, but for especially for Austria and Germany, there are existing special plugins to make your online shop uh, compliant with the laws we have here. So it's yeah, it's it's crazy. Some things you have to do. Like, I mean, I always tell it. It's funny, but I always feel like because you know, in Austria and Germany you have to list the details about about the product even in the checkout so it's like if you're going to the cashier in the supermarket and the cashier says okay you know you're buying one liter of milk or <laughs> because i'm mean, stupid i mean i understand customers needs protections especially against the big companies and, and things but hurting it's only the small ones because they now need to apply to all those laws and all those details and if you don't list i don't know the the taxes in the right place, you can be fined in Germany. I mean, that's that's, that's bullshit. Sorry. No, no, I, look, I mean, let's be real. The reason why privacy laws exist is because of all the big companies harvesting yeah. data and making decisions based on that data. When, But now all small businesses have to comply with the same level of laws. Now, some laws, you know, like CCPA only apply to bigger companies, but for the grand scheme of things it's like you're any business and now you have to make all these disclosures you know yes. as a human being i love the fact that we have a right to privacy and as a human being well i don't get to because i'm from chicago but a lot of people <laughs> can tell companies get rid of my data and they have to like that's something we're fighting for but in the same breath as a lover of small business owners my career is based on helping small business owners out like I find it to be a nightmare that they not only need to make those disclosures, but they also have to have a strategy to keep up to date with the ever-changing privacy law landscape. And like, 
let's be real. Most people, most small business owners don't have 40,000 pounds or euros or dollars sitting around every year to have a privacy attorney monitor all 29 privacy bills in the U.S., the changes in the U.K. or in um, Canada, and just the EU and U.K.'s privacy laws that have been in place. So, Correct. yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's And actually, EU consumer protection laws are changing this summer. Yeah, that's right. So uh, I've been meaning to get, um, you know, to get us into the EU in terms of providing policies for EU customers, but I'm waiting for those rules to finalize uh, so that I can do the engineering because it doesn't make sense for me to do all of it and then change it all once the rules change. But I'm hoping that this newest change will be like a permanent-ish change so I don't have to keep going back and forth, you know? But I think it's kind of cool that, you know, consumers get all these rights and, and abilities, you know? I think it's very special to be able to tell companies. Humans are, privacy to me means humans are more important than companies. And I think that's something we got lost. We lost that kind of message. I really I think it's a profound yeah. statement yeah. that people can tell companies, get rid of my data, and they have to. And I do believe yeah. that is worth fighting and for. Thing yeah, it's absolutely important and, and necessary and uh, yeah. because it's, it's, it, you never know what happens with your data and if you connect multiple databases and then the government changes and then, oh, we don't apply you because at 45% probability you are, I don't know, going to rob somebody because people with your type of history have the same behavior and that's just uh, not, not, not the right thing to do. Agreed. Exactly. Yeah. And some companies will offer those rights to everyone. Like we at Termageddon offer GDPR rights to everyone, regardless of where you're located from. And I think that's probably going to be the next trend in privacy. We're just going to stop caring about where you're from. You're just going to get those rights because I don't want to deal with figuring out where you're from. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I have a question actually. Uh, mm. So, Hans, so that is uh, one thing that uh, in our group there uh, had a discussion actually about like uh, for your company data it needs to be reside in the uh, EU, eu data centers and for that i think we are seeing lots of new customers from eu region especially for you know germany austria this type of countries and uh, so is that uh, what's that law actually i don't know because that uh, was discussed in our group like say for a business if their CRM data center also need to be like in EU. Is that right or uh, something that uh, you are aware of? So it kind of depends on what privacy laws apply to you. So different privacy laws have different standards on transfers of data. Um, yep. But you know, when it looks into GDPR, so first of all, you would need to disclose the fact that you're transferring data to another country. So if you're transferring it from the European Union to the United States, you need to say that. And then there are certain standards that you need to meet when it comes to the actual transfer. So about a year ago uh, in the United States, we used to have an agreement between the US and the EU called the Privacy Shield. And Privacy yeah, Shield privacy. basically allowed companies to transfer data if you met certain requirements. And the Privacy Shield was recently validated uh, by Max Schrems. There's a huge case about it, so you can no longer use it as a potential um, data transfer mechanism. And I believe he is German, right, Bernard? Oh, that's from Austria. Okay, oh, he's from no. Austria. <laughs> um, but really cool guy, like really interesting guy. He's brought up all these cases and stuff. 
So basically, if you do end up transferring data from the EU to the US now, you can't use that privacy shield framework. You can potentially do it if the consumer consents to it, or you can do it under what's called standard contractual clauses. So it's basically a contract between you and the people that you're transferring to. So for example, like a data center or something like that, that basically requires the data center to meet certain standards when it comes to privacy and all of that stuff. So it's kind of complicated, but there is a way to do it. You just have to be really careful about it. Um, but because that's such a hot, hot topic right now, because you have to meet so many different rules to do it and, and so many different things that you need to do, a lot of people end up just keeping that data in the EU so they don't have to deal with all those transfer rules. So that's kind of the short and quick Yeah, answer. and I think that's the, one of the reasons uh, where, you know, people are kind of doing self-hosting, hosted using self-hosted softwares. So I think, you know, self-hosted softwares are getting uh, popular nowadays. Yeah, the yeah, transfer yeah. data is a nightmare now because of all these rules that are changing. And it seems like there's some movement at the U.S. of trying to establish a new privacy shield type of framework. But if they do establish it, I'd be very careful using it because as soon as Max Schrems wakes up and decides he doesn't <laughs> like it, it's going to be gone. So... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's, he's he's very busy on that end, and I, I think it's a good thing that, that it is. Yeah, I like all, Although it's annoying for us to deal with, but the, the law behind is important, uh, so that uh, people are secure and can have their data deleted and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And there's a reason why in in, in, uh, in Europe most of the people try to have their data stored somewhere in Europe, and that's the reason why. The data centers are local, and well, Microsoft stores European data in Europe yeah. and all the others because uh, they know it's just easier to avoid the confrontation uh, and the possible head edges. And then it's always like this feeling in Europe: uh, if, if in America somebody uh, breaks the law, and then there is. Uh, and they want the data and stuff like that, and it's far easier for the American government to get the data um, and stuff like that. And I think it's 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 the right thing to do, and then you never know. Yeah. yeah well, um, we're actually I think out of time. I'm not sure what happens <laughs> after the time that we go over. So I'd, we're we're going to have to um, leave it there. But the uh, the big takeaway I've got to say to people, um, first of all. Um, like we said, is uh, that people are more important than companies. But the even bigger takeaway is that if you are in Ireland, you can go to Bernard's family chocolate store, buy some chocolate, and send it back to him in seven years and ask for a refund. <laughs> so that's what I recommend you all do and see what happens. Um, before, we, before we sign off, there is one more super quick um, article that we can look at here. And this is just a fun little one. Um, that some of you might have already heard about, that a yeah. designer living in Buenos Aires in Argentina managed to snap up the google.com.ar domain after the domain temporarily became available in the Google, in, in the domain registry. Um, I think that if you want to go and check this out, just go to the Guardian website or just, just search for this. If you just search Argentinian buys Google domain, I'm sure there'll be lots of articles about that. But how that happened, I don't know. And um, but I think it's quite funny anyway. So I'm not sure what what he put there, he or she put there after. Um, but I'm pretty sure that you know when he bought it, he knew stuff was going to happen. <laughs> stuff was going to kick off straight yeah. after that. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like I'm just going to 
do this. I'm going to buy it. And then I'm going to sit and eat the popcorn and watch what happens. <laughs> I wonder if somebody got fired for uh, letting that slip. Well, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, the thing is that, you know, this does happen. Domains do get, you know, do do expire. But it's usually when, you know, the, the janitor of the company bought the domain, then moved to Australia or something, yeah. and no one knew where the domain was. But come on, man, this is Google. You know, this is the company we trust with our personal domain data, and they forget to so renew their domain. like every once in a while. I think a couple years back, a guy also bought a Google domain for, like, whatever, five euros or something yeah. like that after it expired. And what's funny is that every time this happens, the person that ends up buying the domain is like the nicest person of all time. Like they don't ask for billions of dollars, which they mm. totally could. I think the guy asked for a Google hat and a tour of their facility. And that was it. And then he was like, all right, now I'll give this domain back to you. And then, yeah, yeah. Google, Google cut a check for that person because he just gave it back to them, didn't yeah. want anything. Yeah. Google ends up writing a donating a check in his name, um, and they wrote they, the check amount was Google, but in like phone if you like convert like numbers like yeah nice yeah they did it they did it in G O O G L dot and then in pennies it was you know L E and they, that was the check amount they wrote on behalf of this person to, to as a donation somewhere and like wow. what a great story but I it is a good story. If you ever have any clients, you know, your domain expires, um, you can always reference this. Like even Google, this even happens to Google people. Like we'll get yeah. through it. So. <laughs> I feel too bad. Yeah, yeah I think well, that person actually purchased that you know domain from Google.com, Google domains. What, what was Say that? that again? Sorry. I mean, uh, that person, the Google.com, the oh, person right. actually bought that was from Google.com. Yes, that's right. Yeah, he bought it on Google Domains. He bought Google, Google Domains. Right. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you, everyone, today. Thanks, Hans and Donata, Bernard and Jewel, and everybody who's come and listened or watched today. And um, we've got to do the, uh, the way thing now. Um, Bernard knows all about this, but basically I need to press the end broadcast button. And what we have to do is wave awkwardly until we think it's gone off. So if you could all start waving, even you at home, kids, you can do it too. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. We're doing the hand